Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Today we have a very special uh, friend that I met a uh, while back in Los Angeles when I was living in Los Angeles. His name, uh, and uh, he's an amazing, really amazing artist. His name is uh, Scott Kiche. He's a contemporary artist from Los Angeles. His work is in an exploration of the light and color and form. The artist, uh, the artist was born in Guatemala in 1974 and at the age of five immigrated to the United States with his family. Like many artists, Kichet journal uh, in art began in a very early age. His natural talent along with the, uh, with the encouragement of his teachers and family helped him to create him in a commitment uh, to becoming an artist, thank God. <laughs> Some of the of the of the masters who have influenced his work is René Magritte, Dalí, and Velázquez. He enjoys the vast uh, the vast vocabulary and beautiful and styles of life painting. He has exhibited his work in both here in the United States and abroad. His work was received awards several groups, shows, and magazines publications. Iche has exhibited in museums and no galleries to all the country. His work is collected and purchased in private collectors, corporate buyers, and art colleagues alike for uh, for the last 15 years. And you can find his Instagram, so you can uh, contact him. That is really, really, and just to see his work on Instagram is in the description for everybody who wants to, to check that out, that you should. His art is just, it is really, really, really amazing. Scott, it's really, really my pleasure to have you here. It has been my pleasure since I met you in Los Angeles. Actually, I was so, so impressed with the quality of work that you actually do. Thank you for accepting my invitation for the podcast. Oh, well, thank you, Monica, for, for inviting me. You know, you've been uh, you've been a good colleague and, and we've been friends for for many years and I know we've been living in different states but we've kept in touch through the magic of social media and the internet so thank you for having me here this afternoon and I'm happy to answer any questions. Yes I would like to ask you uh, well this podcast started because I wanted to people see behind the scenes the artist life because we're not only artists we are like in your case, father, husband, and also an artist, and obviously a human being that has also a life. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not only art that creates an artist, it's everything that it creates us. Right. And uh, and we all have a, a beginning. And I read in your bio, obviously, that we the majority of the artists, we started when we were in junk age. At what age do you start uh, creating and uh, and you have created your art also in Guatemala before well, you move over here? Yeah, I think that like, you know, like every child, we start uh, the discovery of creativity with simple things like crayons <laughs> and, you know, um, pencils or chalks. Uh, 
And I grew up with uh, my grandmother and my two cousins. Uh, and I was the only child in the house. So there was no there was no other children in the area that I could play with at the time. So uh, I entertained myself with uh, coloring. And I think that if I can remember as far back as maybe being five years old, six years old, I think is the average time we can look back and say, hey, that's when I started uh, was that time. It was really, you know, 1977, 78, there was, there was no internet, there was no computers, there was no cable, <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, art became uh, a companion. It became a toy the start it became a way of entertaining myself uh and so that's how that's how i started then do you exhibit in guatemala well you know it, one of my uh the, one of my goals in life is to be able to exhibit in my homeland uh but you know because of the uh the governments at the time uh and the distance between me here in los angeles Uh, sometimes I, I, you know, I found it difficult to make a connection with uh, Guatemala, but it is a goal of mine to be able to one day at least uh, have a, a, an exhibition of my work in my homeland. It is a tough one. I, in my experience, I, I did exhibit in Veracruz where I was raised, Mexico, but I don't think it was well appreciated and I have not grown because we change with years. We um, and uh, I, if even right now, if I wanted to have an art exhibit in Veracruz, it would be very tough. Yes, you know, and, uh, unfortunately, we, you know, as much as we don't want it to be a part of the art life we have, there is a certain level of politics that we ha that we face even in the art world, <laughs> and um, you know, it's uh, it, it's. For me, it's been a, a life journey of building relationships with people and trying to build genuine relationships with people. And because of the distance um, in the last 22 years that I've been working as an artist, uh, it, it's, it hasn't been until recently when Facebook became part of our lives that we finally found it easier to connect with people from other countries. But before that, uh, it was really hard unless uh, unless you were connected with someone who knew someone, and that's been that that was sort of the game at the time. Uh, but yes, you know, I mean, even Frida Kahlo uh, had only one show in her own land uh, before she passed on, and she was so proud of that. And I am hoping that one day I'll be able to break through the barriers of that polit the, uh, politics and get to exhibit in my land. <laughs> and I feel like it is like the saying says, uh, it is very hard to be profit in your own land. Yes, I agree with you. Um, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I told a friend of mine uh, not too long ago. Uh, as an artist living in Los Angeles, uh, you would imagine I'd be doing really well in my hometown, California, the state of California, but actually... For the last 15 years, it's been the state of Texas where I've exhibited most of my work, and it's where most of my sales have come from and collectors. And yes, you're right. A, a prophet is never accepted in his hometown. <laughs> yes. Uh, you live, you exhibit in Austin. I mean, I, am I right? 
Well, yes. Uh, for the last, uh, I think now going on 13 years, um, the Wally Workman Gallery in Austin, Texas has been my official dealer. And my other gallery in Houston, Texas, the Jack Muir Gallery, has also been my uh, another official dealer of mine. And uh, I've had other galleries who've represented the work. Uh, but, you know, galleries and artists, uh, I know I might jump to a different topic here. Uh, it's kind of like a relationship, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, some romantic relationships work out and some don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is so true. It is. I have learned that in a hard way, too. <laughs> uh, right. Um, but uh, yes, I can understand that, you know, especially someone, you know, who's who lives in a foreign land, you, you your heart longs to be um, uh, heard and, and acknowledged in your own land. So I hope that you get your opportunity to exhibit in Veracruz one day, as well as maybe I hope I get the chance to exhibit in, in Guatemala. <laughs> yes. I will be showing his work, and uh, when I when I edit this, because I'm going to be adding at least three of his pieces. His work is amazing, guys. So you you will be able to see that. I wanted to ask you. Um, I saw I read in your bio that you were inspired by Rene Magritte and Dali and Velázquez. Uh, they were uh, your big influences. Yes, in your art. How do you see it reflected in your art? I don't see too much surrealism like Dali. I see it very how how you would you put how you would name your art? Well, I don't want to name it. You know, earlier in the podcast right now, you said that people change. Yes. We change. And that's true for artists. Uh, our inspiration changes as our life changes and as our friendships change because sometimes we have friends that remain with us all our lives and then there are those friends that just fade away somehow and so when I first started uh, taking my first steps towards uh, actually painting in oil uh, I discovered uh, Salvador Dali because a friend of mine from uh, elementary gave me a Salvador Dali book as a gift for Christmas one year and this was in 1991 and I opened the book and I thought oh my god this man, this guy is amazing. I mean, he was painting everyday objects and making them look so intriguingly amazing. And it was like there was no limit to what you could put in a painting, a melting watch or a, a, a giraffe with giant legs or, a, you know, and there was all these <coughs> fantastic images. And so that excited me. And so I wanted to explore the language of surrealism because I thought uh, at the time it didn't have any limitations. You could express yourself uh, in any way you like using the most uh, unusual objects or, or settings or backgrounds. But like you said, you know, life changes and, and we change. And in 1992, I moved to um, Washington, D.C., and in Washington, D.C., uh, I was very much influenced by the Surrealists still. And I would visit the National Gallery of Art, the Smithsonian. And um, I started discovering as well more of the 17th century Dutch painting as well as the 17th century Spanish uh, uh, paintings like Velazquez and, and Rubens. And so... You know, as an artist, as a young artist, you have so many influences when you start. 
you're inspired by this, you're inspired by that. And now when I look back, I say, you know, I've taken a little bit of everything that that has inspired me or that I love. Um, the lighting, you know, what light you use on your painting compositions, the colors you use, uh, the the uh, the objects that you use or the people, uh, it changes. And I think it's good to be influenced by a master. I think that's important for any artist to be influenced. But at some point, you have to find your own voice. Yeah. And um, I don't want to sound arrogant or pretentious to tell you I have a name for what I do because I don't. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just doing it. But I love color and I love light. And I love to create an intense atmosphere with those two uh, tools. Um, I love, I, you know, I, I'm a big supporter that the only rule in art is there is no rule. And if you're expressing yourself in the manner you want to, that's okay. And so we all find expression through different experiences and relationships in our lives. Uh, you know, so uh, I love surrealism. I, I, I played with it. I, I discovered it. I, you know, I, I had a journey with it and then one day when I joined the Valley Artists Guild in uh, 2005 uh, I for the first time in my life I came into contact with so many different artists doing so many different styles and it was like wow you know and I didn't know you could do that and I didn't know you could do this and um, those were good friends like you you know I met you at the Valley Artists Guild at that at that time and I became more open and uh, decided to explore more of realism yeah. without the surrealism. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if, if I will go back to surrealism, but it's something that I enjoyed and I had fun with it. And it was, it was a good learning experience. But there is, well, and like at least the, the ones, the photos that I'm going to be presenting later on of, of your work with the cards. There's a hint of surrealism in there. In there, they're very, they're made very realistic, almost photographic. That's that's how I I saw it the first time. Even the it was some oranges or something like that. Yes, yes. one of the paintings when when I met you, and God, it was looked like a photograph. It was real well done. But in the last ones that you sent me. The photographs that are going to be presenting, I can see a little bit of surrealism in there. And surrealism basically is telling a story behind a story, and yes. it goes like in I call them in layers for intellect in a way. <laughs> How would you describe it? Well, you know, for for me, surrealism is painting with a taste of the mystery and the enigma of things. Yeah. You don't have to understand why, for example, Salvador Dali painted elephants with giant legs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't have to understand why René Magritte uh, painted so many paintings of himself covered with a sheet over his face um, or the giant apple in a room. And I think that's, that's, that's the wonderful, intriguing mystery of surrealism is that uh, you have an element of, of, of mystery 
just like life is mysterious, uh, you know, uh, art is also mysterious too. Uh, I, the Loteria cards are super cool because I grew up playing that game. And I played it with my grandmother. Uh, again, there was a time when there was no video games. There was no, you know, online gaming. It was either board games or this was a traditional game that my ancestors played. And but as I grew older and as my few family uh, of that time passed on from this life, I realized that there was more to those cards than just fond memories of games, that, that the Loteria cards had a sort of a, a language of their own that I could use to say something about me. And I think you're right. I think the, the Loteria cards have a, a, an, an aura of surrealism. Mm -hmm. because of the way that I am exploring how to light up the cards with objects that you normally wouldn't see with those cards. Um, you know, and, and, and I won't take credit. Uh, I'm not the only artist that explores the Loteria card themes. There's many who do it and do it well. But it's such an iconic game and it's such an iconic imagery in our culture that it's just, you know, uh, it's it's fun to explore it and use it in art. <laughs> but even if there, I believe I know many artists. It doesn't matter if they were Latinos or not; they have painted loteria cards. Yeah. I do agree with that. But in a way, we all have our own way of expressing it. Yes, we get or one card is more important for us than other cards. Right. You know. And um, but there's a why, what is, that means that card for us, and uh, and a part of the surrealism it is that's the story behind because then we paint emotions, right, right. and uh, and there's an emotion in behind every single painting, it doesn't matter what it is. Right. You're right. Um, in the paintings that you are going to share with your audience, the large painting, the large forty two by forty two. Uh, painting called uh, uh, Rosas y, y Moon Card. Uh, La Luna Card is actually special because my oldest daughter's name is Luna. Mm -hmm. So when I invoke the Luna Card, I'm really saying something about my daughter, that specific daughter. <laughs> and the, the Rosas is actually the name of my aunt who passed away in 94. And she was the one that actually uh, encouraged me to take on art uh, in my life. She's the one who actually walked me to the museums in L.A., uh, the L.A. County Museum of Art. And so, uh, again, there's that mystery to the audience. But you're right. The artist knows why he's using those elements. Yeah. Um, you want to leave the painting subjectional and, and, and open to interpretation. But yes, you're right. Uh, there are certain. There is a specific reason for why those cards are used. And let me add to that. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, we all went through a very emotional, and some of us are still going through a, a very hard emotional trauma and journey. Someone saw that painting and contacted me and said, "Scott, I want to, to commission you to do a painting just like that one." But uh, using the sun card, the the and the and the luna card, the sol and the luna, and I didn't ask her why 
but I knew it had to be something personal and important. So I said, okay. So I, I did a sketch for her. I showed her the sketch online and she said, yes, that's, that's perfect. And can you use candlelight like the way you did with the others? And I said, perfect. And what was really, you know, intriguing and, and just, it really touched me was when I asked her, I said, every Loteria card has a number at the top. Yeah. Is there a special number that you want me to substitute and put in there on that card? And yes, she, she gave me some dates. She gave me uh, numbers to put into the card because it correlated to a special person or a special event in her life. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that, I'm no longer in the realm of just doing realism for realism's sake, but I'm actually now in the realm of creating a vocabulary and a poetry for someone based on their personal life experience through something so simple as a loteria card. Uh, yeah, so it was it, that that painting was actually the only painting I was able to produce through the pandemic and it was it was hard. I think that painting for me is always gonna be very special because I did it in a time when uh, you know, I was full of anxiety of the pandemic, the well-being of my wife, my children, the uncertainty of what's gonna happen now. Uh, and so I I think I that was probably an intense labor of love that one particular painting that you will show to, to your audience. Uh, it's the uh, painting Carta uh, de Sol y Luna under candlelight. I'm going to, I know we were talking off camera about our experience as an artist and with the pandemic, because it was very, very hard worldwide. It was, we're not going to say it was only us. It was all the artists, um, uh, in the world, but how would it affect you? Uh... Well, you know, I think when I look back at it now, my wife in uh, May of last year was positive with COVID, and uh, three of my five daughters were positive with COVID. Mm. And, you know, um, it was an incredibly scary moment for me in my life. And I've been through a lot of scary moments in my life, but that one was really... I think the the most intense uh, of all those experiences of fear because um, I felt helpless. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Um, and it was at the beginning of the pandemic, if I'm not that I remember, because I, I was reading you on social media. It was when we were more scared. Now right. you see people that they have recovered and so forth. But at the beginning of 2020, it was right. scary. Yes. <laughs> There was this, you know, I, I didn't know what we were going to do. And, you know, we're a large family and in a small home, there's just so much social distancing you can do between a positive and a negative uh, member of a family. And so for me as an artist, all artwork had to completely come to a stop because life took precedent. I had to uh, take care of my of my wife and my children. And it was it was hard and i think what kept me going in that early moment of time with her being ill and the girls was that um i actually found 
comfort in watching art documentaries. I mean, I, I couldn't really do work. I really couldn't paint, obviously. But I felt comforted watching YouTube videos of the life of Monet, Edgar Degas. You know, the Impressionists were probably one of the groups of artists that had such a hard life as artists. <laughs> yes. You know, and Renoir in one of the documentaries expressed that he felt so paralyzed that he didn't know if his art was any good anymore, that he, for one year, didn't produce anything. He was like just uh, creatively stunned. And, you know, I felt comfort in that. And I, I thought, you know what, I, 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 can, I can manage this and I can survive this because I am not the first nor the last artist that's going to experience the hardships of life as an artist. And so I found that I spent the entire year, Monica, not even looking at the work or videos of my contemporaries, but more of the videos and documentaries of the lives of the artists that came before me. Uh, lives of like German expressionists who were living through the, you know, through the Third Reich World War II era and how yeah. they feared for their lives. And, you know, uh, it gave me strength to say, hey, I can do this. I can, I know it's hard. I know it's not going to be easy. There were times when it was just so overwhelming. But I decided to do um, what was important, which was to take care of the family. And whatever uh, free time I had, I just filled my, my, my mind and my visuals with uh, documentaries of artists who persevered through their own difficult times. Have you noticed that your thematic of what are you paint change after the 2020? You know, yes. Um, it was, you know, it, 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 it was a traumatic experience for all of us. Uh, it was a challenge, an emotional challenge. And I began to do sketches and began to, uh, you know, in my mind, we always formulate ideas uh, to capture certain experiences that COVID brought on to me personally. And so I worked on a sketch of my wife and me uh, during the COVID after she had recovered and me wearing a mask uh, because I think now masks are just so embedded in, in our society. I mean, um, I don't think we will ever be the same <laughs> because those images of masks are always going to stay with us and may still continue to stay with us. Uh, we don't know yet. So there are, yes, there very much is right now, Monica, a series of paintings and drawings that I'm working on that are dealing on the uh, issue of COVID, not just the disease, how it's affected me, how it's affected my family, but also some of the social implication that it's had because it has created quite a bit of, uh, uh, of, of uh, controversy even amongst my own family members, even amongst friends. Some don't want to wear masks, some do wear masks. And, no, and, and, and so it is impossible at this moment in time, I told a friend, for me to just consider painting things that aren't happening. It's affected me, it's affecting me, it's affected the world. And I think it's only, it's only, it, it would only be fair for me to leave something behind for my children and my future generations to say look this is what it was like this is what happened 
I always have said that artists in general, we are storytellers of our yeah. And uh, and yeah, this is what we want to project, what we were feeling in that moment. Yes. And, and you know, uh, again, uh, Monica, I mean, I, I spent hours and hours watching documentaries of artists' lives on YouTube during those early tough months because there was nothing more I could do. And one of the one of the documentaries that struck me the most was uh, one of Picasso. We all know Picasso, of course, is that he was this flamboyant, uh, you know, playboy. But the minute that they bombed the small town of uh, Guernica, he stopped doing all those other, you know, works of art and focused on doing the large Guernica painting that we all know of. And it was his first social statement that had politics in it. And he was very much a non-political artist before that. He was the most apolitical artist. And even someone as eccentric as like Salvador Dali, mm -hmm. he did a painting uh, which is called The uh, Premonition of Civil War. And in that painting, he was foretelling that Spain was about to go into civil war because of Franco's uh, thirst for power. So at some point, I think artists do have to say something about their time. Uh, it's not an obligation, you know, because we all we all have a different journey. For me, though, I feel it would be a crime for me not to leave something behind that captures this chapter of my life. It's like something super important happening in your life, Monica, and you just leave it out of your diary. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, I, I, I think I see it that way in my life. What is your favorite um, theme or what inspired you to paint more than anything? Because I have seen in majority of your art, your family, yes. your wife, your kids, and, and that is beautiful. And I, Frida used to say that she used to paint herself more because that was the person that she always have in front. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. But in, in your case, uh, they're not in front of you. <laughs> well, you know, it, it came down to one important uh, uh, understanding that my children and my wife were not going to disappear, that, that they were a part of my life. And as you know, Picasso had many wives and he fathered <coughs> many children. But unfortunately, he was a great artist, but not the best of fathers. <laughs> he had some, uh, you know, he had some conflicts with his, um, with, with, with his children in life. And so what I wanted to accomplish at one point, I said, well, look, in order to maintain my sense of sanity here, I'm going to see if I could maybe uh, kill two birds with one stone, if I can use that term. I'm going to use my children and my wife as models so that I can spend time with them and at the same time get work done. And, it, you know, it worked. Thank God it worked because I, I, I was at the, at the early years of my marriage. It was, it was hard. It was frustrating. Uh, <laughs> you know, my wife didn't understand why I was isolated for hours and hours in my studio And I realized, look, I can't just be in my studio all the time and ignore them. You know, they need they need that. And my wife needs to spend time with me and interact. So I thought, hey, you know, what better way to do this than to just mix the two? 
And I'm glad I did that now because now that my daughters are older and, you know, things are changing, I'm glad that I was able to capture that moment in time with them. And, um, you know, I, I always encourage artists, you know, who have big families or small family. This is God. How do you do it? How do you how do you juggle this situation? I said, you know, just once in a while, use them as models. But you were but uh, you were very lucky to they can stay still. I remember when I was four years old and uh, an artist painting in Mexico City. Mm. And uh, to stay still, it was two days, and they were tortured, obviously. Like, don't move, and don't do this, and don't do... And I was four years old. And uh, and I was like, oh, my God, that was the more uh, tortured time ever. So when someone asked me they want a painting, I tried to get them a little bit, you know, but then it's like, let me take a photo. Why? Because I just remember those. <laughs> well, you know, and, and it's true. I mean, uh, there was no way that I was going to keep my 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 four year old still <laughs> in a chair. It's torture. And, you know, <laughs> and so uh, the photo reference is a handy tool. The only thing I tell uh, artists is that uh, the photo isn't the complete truth of everything in the painting. And, um, you know, if you do the photo reference, Uh, you know, I always encourage them to tr also do a watercolor study, a small, quick watercolor study of the light and the color, and it captures some of the personality traits of of the child or the sitter. And you know, and 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 the the use of photograph has always been a controversy amongst artists. But you know, if uh, if you use photo reference, uh, it's exactly that. It's just a reference. You're not transferring exactly what's on the photo to the canvas or to the panel or whatever surface you're painting on. It's a reference and uh, you, you know, you, you, you use what you need and then you add what you can. And at the end, uh, telling you this by, by experience, you were very lucky to have the wife that you have that well, she was willing to support you as your model. Because not every single uh, artist we were that lucky. They wanted, they wanted uh, that she she posed as a model and she supported us at the same time your career and came to understand that artists we can paint sometimes at two o'clock in the morning. That's because that's when we can sleep and we, that's when we're inspired. Well, you know it, the. the... The life of a married artist is is not easy, yeah. it, 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 and it takes work. And I'm no different than than any of the other artists that have come before me who struggled with that. Uh, but through communication, Monica, I believe that's the key. Through communication, and believe it or not, by joining the Valley Artist Guild in 2005. Uh, At that time, me and my wife, we were just married for five years. The Valley Artist Guild, what it did for me and my wife is that it gave my wife an understanding that she was experiencing the exact same emotions and frustrations as some of the spouses of the other artists in that community. And so when we used to do our exhibitions and when we used to have our ceremonies, our fall and our gold shows, uh, I believe that not only did that experience enriched my life, but it also comforted my wife in knowing that 
this was not some strange behavior or some, you know, on some weird, out of the ordinary, uh, you know, Unabomber guy mixing pain in the middle of the night. <laughs> that, there was, that there was other wives and husbands too. Yes. Who would say, oh, you know what? At least she spends eight hours in the studio. My wife spends 17 hours in the studio. I never see her. So she saw that she had some common challenges with others. But what she saw was that there was so much joy in sharing what we do with others. And that it wasn't just a hobby, but it's actually an influence to a community. And so when I met the Valley Artists Guild, I decided to be of service. I became uh, the newsletter chairman. Later, I became the vice president of the guild. And, you know, it's nonprofit, so you're doing it on your own free time. But that service uh, towards other artists in the community, I think it won my wife's respect, I, I hope and believe. And she then started, you know, doing the grilling and the cooking and setting up the food for the shows and all that. So uh, it was a good experience. But yes, uh, I say to artists who are young and married or even, you know, whatever age you get married, uh, keep the channels of communication open and, and invite them to be a part of what you do instead of isolating them from what you do. Either way is tough. I told you after being married four times. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is a tough one. And uh, and there's rules of society, actually, that help more the, the males than the females. And uh, I think there has to be a balance created. Um, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot more female artists, uh, you know, strong female artists stepping up and, and being of influence and, you doing this podcast and reaching out to, you know, thousands of people worldwide is also an influence. You're contributing, you know, especially in this time where we can't go to a gallery because we're afraid of the uh, pandemic or we can't go to the museum because it's by reservation now only <laughs> that you're, you're helping to bring art into the communities and to the lives of people worldwide. And um, as a female artist and as one that as an art colleague that I, I respect and I'm and, and happy to call friend, I think what you're doing is important. And uh, I, I only I can only hope that it will continue to catch on. Yes. And the idea is actually to inform the, the viewers. Yes. What is the life of an artist is just not. Just grabbing a brush and put paint in it, and that's it. You know, it I told you know I told my one my uh, my nineteen year old daughter is going to start uh, her, um, her pursuit of uh, animation. Uh, she's going to go in and study animation this this coming uh, uh, month. But when they were younger, and I would take them to the museums, I would tell them, you know, you see all this beautiful art. You see a Diego Velasquez there, you see a Picasso, you see a Rembrandt, you see all great ones. But what you don't see is that all those great ones, all that art there came through great strife and suffering, loss, pain, anguish, um, addictions, and, and, and all sorts of, you know, social dysfunctions. <laughs> you know, uh, I look at the work of, uh, 
you know, for example, Rembrandt is, uh, you know, is so well admired and respected throughout the world. Uh, but the man had so much loss in his life. You know, his first wife died. He lost two children. Um, Monet's first wife died of malnutrition. She had a complication with her birth. And, you know, so every artist you see in museums, I mean, they went through some incredible social and personal challenges. Uh, even Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, they, they were married and, you know, Diego was a bit of a playboy and, you know, she, you know, liked to go out and have fun too. And they separated and then they realized they loved each other and then got married once again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think if you can find in your life a, a partner that understands you as an artist, and that, that's, a, that's a real blessing. And I believe also part of our creative side also goes with our wanted to express our emotions and our passion. And, yeah. uh, and it is easier to put it in a piece of art. Yeah. And at least we can understand it, <laughs> even in the real world. And the world does not understand that passion or that emotion. And we can get it out. It's, I call it our therapy also at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, and, you know, um, I, I look at what I do now after so many years of painting and drawing and sketching. Yes, you're right, Monica. This is therapeutic for me. I mean, I have to make a living. I have to pay my bills, put bread on the table, just like everyone else. But at the same time, it's therapeutic. It's it's if I don't do it, I become restless. I become unhappy. Uh, I get uh, I get tense. <laughs> so there's there's a, there's an absolute belief in me that if you are an artist and you paint and you love it and you can't live without it, it's because that's what your destiny is to be is to be an artist. In the pandemic time, what I did when I could not feel inspired to paint, it was very hard. I don't know what it was. Uh, probably, like you say, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. I started writing. Yeah. And I started studying because I wasn't meant to express myself in one way or the other. So I I wrote a book, you know, because I was needing to express it. Yes. And, you know, that's – and see, in my in my personal opinion – I think what happened is that all of us, all artists in general, we, you know, we, we look at the world around us, Monica, uh, and we process information, an event here, uh, uh, a moment here, and we process that information. And, and for some of us, it takes time to channel it out, how you want to say it affected you or how you experienced that moment. But because now we live in a digital media age where you see thousands and tens of thousands of artists and you see tens of thousands of, you know, news bits coming at you nonstop, the pandemic, you know, uh, the, the, the last administration or whatever government you're living in under this world, you start to develop this information overflow in you that instead of being able to channel it, you can't because there's just too much you're processing and you just don't know which to tackle first. You want to tackle this situation. You want to tackle that feeling. You want to tackle that. And I think that's, 
and, and I tell this to a lot of the young artists today, I, I don't envy you because in my time, you watch the news, you change the channel, there was no remote, you went up there and changed the channel manually, but you had quiet time. You, had, you, you weren't 24-7 connected to the entire world all the time. And I think what, uh, with all of this uh, you know, uh, pandemic and, 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 and uncertainty with finances and governments, I think artists in general all over the world have felt a sense of information over, overflow. And it's paralyzed uh, many of us, uh, including me. Uh, but I, I've had to sort of disconnect from some of my activities on Facebook and Instagram, just so I can give myself time to breathe, absorb what's important, <laughs> and, you know, leave the silly stuff out. <laughs> what I've been doing that I discover uh, some friends studying coaching and so forth, someone tell me, why you don't check later.com? And like that, you schedule your, your content or whatever you want to promote. And uh, through your social medias, different social medias, but then you don't have to be hooked to the social media. And then you can have a life and you can create and you can do whatever you want. And after that, it's like we can use the same technology in our favor so we don't be yes. actually absorbed by it at the same time. I, and, I agree. I think, uh, I think everything in moderation. Yes. In moderation. And, you know, I noticed I, I, one young artist who I spoke to uh, a year and a half ago, he said, oh, man, you know, you, what would you recommend as an artist for me that I'm starting out? I say, try not to spend too much time on social media because it can fill you with anxiety because you're watching all these artworks, all these artists producing, uh, creating this, achieving that, visiting this. and then you might start to feel left behind or that you're not doing enough. Yeah. And that anxiety is not good for your creativity. In my, in my, my theory, Monica, with that and how I've survived the, the competition of being an artist, if you can call it that, is that I don't see it as a competition. I see art as a life journey. And travel at your own pace comfortably. But because you're very secure about your art, I'm not saying that all the artists are the same way. I have right. met artists in different places from Los Angeles to New York, etc. over here. That the art is amazing, yes. but they are not uh, reachable. Right. They are very competitive. They have the the their mind in I don't know uh, how they observe the world, but they're just. You can't even approach them. It's sending a friend request or or like it. They're gonna you're nobody, you know, unless you're a collector or something like that. You are never being like that. I met you in Los Angeles. Your art is amazing. In fact, I even asked you for classes, but it was just impossible with my daughter to drive over there. It was far away. So I could not went to take your classes, but you were very approachable at the time. You're, you're humble, even if your art is it exhibits in one of the best places uh, in the United States, and it's the quality is amazing. Why is that difference between 
the artists that they're, I'm not going to say the art is bad. It's very amazing. It is really, really high quality too, but why they're not approachable and you are approachable. Well, you know, we all, one of the great challenges in life, I tell my daughters, is learning to coexist with all the different personalities that you meet in this world, all the different personalities that you cross paths with. Um, when I was first starting, when I first started painting in 1991, I met a Colombian artist. His name was Alberto Ibanez. And I got introduced to him by a friend of mine. And at that time, Monica, I only had two paintings. That's it. That's all I had was just two paintings. It was my first two paintings ever. Uh, and he was more of an established artist in his country in Colombia. But he was also an, uh, 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 an architectural draftsman in Virginia. Anyhow, so I went over to his studio one afternoon. I showed him my work. I didn't know what to think. I was nervous, scared. I was only 19 years old. But he was generous. And he was encouraging. And he told me, I like that. I like what you're doing. He goes, you're welcome to come and use my studio whenever you want. Just, you know, keep it clean, but you can use it. And I produced two other paintings at that time. And he said, I want to use one of them, Scott, and exhibit it for a show that I'm putting together at the Mexican Embassy in Washington, D.C. And I was blown away. I thought, well, I've never, I don't have any school training. I'm just starting. And, you know, uh, I was very fortunate. So what I'm saying by that, Monica, is that it, I was given a chance to show something that I created and who you are and what you achieve as an artist is your hard work. Yes, it is. But it's also the sum total of all the doors that were open to you generously. Yeah. That people came to help you. Uh, a gallery decided, okay, I'll give you a chance. We'll put one painting up. And, and so I found out that it was easier for me to be an artist with a sense of humbleness and appreciation than to be a pretentious, you know, <laughs> snooty artist. <laughs> yes, and, and and you know I've I've all I've ever tried to do as best as to my ability is to build um, genuine relationships in my field. Um, I know that there's a myth in the art world, and even when I was younger, it was a myth that in order to make it, you you had to sort of uh, kiss a little booty. <laughs> I said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We don't need to do that. That was one of the things that, that, that take me to my next question I wanted to ask you, because when I arrived to Los Angeles and I was looking where to exhibit and so on, so the first words that came, uh, that came as an advice from someone is fake it until you make it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is not me. I I can't I can't I can't do that you know is uh, but that goes a lot in in the culture uh, around the world is not only Los Angeles is not only United States is around the world right and uh, how and that's where the pretentious people comes out and that's where the pretentious artist comes out or the arrogance let's put it like that or cutie whatever you want to call it. Right. but. Uh, 
but that doesn't mean that they or they they have the mentality that they can grow more or learn from someone else a new technique, a new way of expressing themselves or whatever, because they already know it all. How do you approach that in living in Los Angeles when it's very expensive, very competitive, and it's about survival? Yes, yes. Well, it is different than anywhere else. You, you gotta stay. You gotta stay humble and learn. Uh, in the art world, you're always gonna be in a process of learning. Yes. All the great artists. Um, Michelangelo said, "I'm still learning." And he was in his 60s or 70s. And so, you know, I take that as an example for me on how I was going to manage and navigate my life as an artist. And I have found that I have had more opportunities open up for me in that spirit of humility and appreciation than to shout and, and be arrogant and, you know, uh, unappreciative about it. Um, you know, there's going to be always going to be a bigger fish than me. And there's always going to be talented artists that are on their way coming right behind me, the younger generation. And, you know, uh, Monet was at the top of his game in Paris at the 18th century, the late 18th century. But then he discovered the Impressionist Monet and Renoir, and then he realized, oh my God, these guys are the next big big thing. I was the next big thing, but now they're the next big thing. So instead of uh, becoming enemies with them, he embraced them, learned from them, and then in turn, Monet, the guy, and all them learned from Monet. How hard is to find a, a place to? A good gallery to to represent you in Los Angeles because that is different than to exhibit anywhere. You can exhibit anywhere, right. you know. There are parks and there's whatever, yeah. but <laughs> but choosing a good gallery that represents you in in Los Angeles, how uh, how hard it was, or that's why you're exhibiting over here in Texas, or well, you know, you know, being in, in the art world. Is, is no different than being in a business world of some kind. So you need to find your market. Yes. You need to find it because, uh, you know, different parts of the nation, believe it or not, have a better clientelship for specific type of art styles. And I know it sounds wild to say that, but it does. Uh, Florida has a completely different way of uh, uh, conducting art there. Boston has a completely different style of art, and it depends on the town and, and the area. Some cities, as you know, are more conservative, and some are more liberal. <laughs> and some, like California, they're in this, a different galaxy altogether. Uh, so I my approach was, okay, so if the galleries in LA don't want to play with me, that's okay. I will go and find my market somewhere else in the country that will give me that opportunity. And I was very fortunate through some effort and work and patience, because you have to be patient. I found a market in Texas that said, yeah, we love what you do. And as the years progressed, 
some of the other markets in California and LA said, hey, uh, you know, we like what you did here. And again, through the magic of Facebook, uh, we connected. And so the, uh, the opportunities began to open up here and there. And, and I think that's probably the number one thing that frustrates a lot of artists is that they want to see that immediate gallery love. And, and I've been doing it for 48 years. It's not easy. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, as, as many opportunities that I have been fortunate and blessed to have had, I've also had a lot of doors shut. <laughs> I've yeah. also had a lot of rejections and other strange scenarios that I can't go into details. But that's the that's the world of that's the world of uh, the artists. <laughs> the funny part is, uh, like in uh, I had very good luck also in Austin. But my kind of work it was the ones I sold more over there in Austin. It was the abstracts. That is uh, a realistic abstract. Let's put it like that. And and your kind of work is very realistic, right. and and it's the same town. And that, that is the, you never know where you're going to, how you're going to feed or when you're going to feed. You know, it, it's, you just got to keep trying because eventually you're going to throw something at the wall and it's going to stick. And before I took my art full time, uh, I used to work in, in, in sales and I did uh, car sales, believe it or not, for two years. And in the car business, you gotta try to sell a car. You try, you gotta, you can't stop. And if you sell one car, you can't just say, "Okay, I'm done for the week." <laughs> you gotta come back the next day and work. And I learned through that experience uh, the um, that there is always going to be an opportunity for a sale, but it's not going to be in, with every single person that comes in through that dealership. And so uh, you had to develop um, thick skin, patience, and you had to develop a, a sense of not giving up, uh, you know, and it, there is no formula, really, Monica, because I know, I know really artists who have done very well for themselves, who have gone through a process, you know, they, they sent a portfolio, uh, I, I, I sent slides. One guy said, oh, I just walked in. I, I was having beer with my wife and I just walked in and they gave me the opportunity. So the, the, the winds of fortune <laughs> aren't yes. the same for all of us, <laughs> you know? And so we have to just not, we can't quit. We have to persevere. If, it, if something isn't working for you, step back. Again, be humble, learn and ask around, hey, what are you doing? What do you think I could do? And, and try a different approach. Um, I always give this example. When I was younger, I was very small. I'm a very small guy. But when I was a little boy, I was very small. And so the cool kids in the playground in my school didn't let me play with them because I was too small. And I wasn't good enough. So I decided, well, okay, well, I'll go play with the other kids over there. And I did. And as my reputation began to grow that, hey, Scott's actually a pretty good basketball player, even though he's small, he's good at football. The other cool kids said, oh, I, come on, we'll, we'll, give you a, we'll give you a shot. You can play with us. And then you earn your respect by your work. 
and yeah. how you know and, and and so when i met this colombian artist in 1991 he told me one piece of advice that is the thing that holds me together constantly he said scott all you got to do is worry about making the best art for you once you put it out into the world he said it's out of your hands and control my friend how the public receives it i totally agree with that one i remember i did a art piece of frida carlo once and i did it solely for the purpose of selling it yes it was not in my heart even to do it i, I in fact in that year i did about 15 Fridas or something like that. Oh, wow. That's don't ask me to paint a Frida because I don't want to paint a Frida ever again. After <laughs> that. <laughs> But I was doing it just solely to the purpose to to make money. Yeah. And uh, and my heart was not in there. It was and now when I um, now when I create a piece, I do it because I wanted to express something for me. Yes. I don't care if I sell it or not. In reality, if I sell it, awesome. If I didn't sell it, yeah, I got more paintings to put in my windows because they don't feed it more. But it is a very different meaning because now at least I can be the best spectator of my own art. Well, but at the same time, you are fulfilling your 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 destiny and you're fulfilling that spiritual hunger in you to create. Yes. You know, Van Gogh at one point didn't wasn't didn't sell anything actually he sold only one pain in his lifetime but at one point he stopped being so frustrated about Theo his brother not selling his art that he said hey I don't care anymore if it sells I'm just going to paint for me and when he adopted that attitude I believe that's when his best work came out and um the rest of course is history we you know we, The Van Goghs are just uh, priceless in this world. And I think that, you know, we all got to do that. And, and you know, Monica, it's really a life journey. You go through a phase. You Like you, I wanted to make money. I wanted to taste a little bit of the glory. <laughs> yeah. But then I realized it wasn't about that. Yeah. As I got older and matured, I realized that this was a gift. I had to develop it. I had to work hard on it and let it do its thing and work with uh, as much genuineness and sincerity as possible. And um, when that happens, when you do that, people will notice that in your work. And, 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 and you, will win, you will win the admiration of, of not just collectors and buyers, but also of colleagues. And you will feel, you will feel much more fulfilled than just getting a check From a painting. I totally agree with you in that one too. I did learn my lesson, obviously. I've been doing it for too long. And obviously we learn from our mistakes. We don't learn from our successes too much. We learn right. more from our mistakes. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, my biggest teacher in life has been um, failures. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and I tell friends, you know, just it's a journey, my friend. Art, art is a journey and you just don't know where that journey will take you because not all roads for us are straight roads. Mm -hmm. Some of us travel on roads that go through curves and 
detours and uh, you know other things and again i say if you felt or feel still discouraged and 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 full of anxiety because of what's happening uh with the pandemic the uncertainty of the finances jobs and all that uh, look back at some of the art history and look back at some of those masters and you will find out that they suffered they went through hardships they lost spouses uh children uh entire fortunes uh you know rembrandt was at his prime rembrandt was one of the richest artists in uh in amsterdam and he ended up broke and poor and you know so when i when i look back at that i say to myself you know we got to be grateful for what we do for the energy and the health that we have to do it with and and just stay uh you know uh, keep the faith open that something good's going to come your way and did you have the other kind of artists like um Pollock Jackson Pollock or Basquiat that they come from very humble uh And from nothing, they just suddenly became famous and became very, very rich. Right. What happened to them? They destroyed their life. Well, you know, and making it richer, experience right. life. They destroying drugs and alcohol. You know, it, it, artist. Um, I had a very good friend of mine who was a, a musician, and you mentioned something about uh, some of your musician friends uh, passing away. I had a, a good friend of mine. Uh, passed away about two and a half years ago, and he was doing very well for himself. He would actually play in Argentina. He would travel and play in in Germany, and uh, but he was just never able to overcome those personal demons. And I think that sometimes when we don't have a foundation or a, or a grounding in self love, it can sometimes come back to haunt you. And Basquiat and Pollock, I mean, talented guys, uh, innovators, definitely innovators. But there was something in their personal lives that they just were not able to overcome. And that's where love, I believe, is important to have in your life. Uh, not necessarily rely on the love of someone like a spouse, or, or, but self-love. Be content with what you have. Be happy with who you are. Um You know, uh, Amadeo Mondigliani, you know, uh, drank himself to death and did drugs. And eventually that agitated his bronchitis and he died of that. And I think that's, uh, that's, the, tra that's the tragic side of art is that there's some of us that just have just these big swollen hearts full of emotion. But yet can't find a spot there for self-love. We yeah. very much uh, know how to beat ourselves up when we don't do well, you know, doubt and, and uncertainty. And I say, you know, as an artist, when you're painting, whether you're painting, drawing, whatever your medium is, every day of your life, you're always going to have two forces in your studio. You're the, the voice of doubt. Uh, this is not good enough. Maybe this won't sell. Am I doing this right? And then there's the other voice of hope expectation and perseverance and say, hey, there's a buyer for this because there's a market for everything in this world. <clears throat> you just have to be patient. And um, 
and with, with that being said, I'll just say that for me personally, and I know every artist has a different life, Monica. Every artist has a different life. It's, yeah. it's important to have love and to find room in your life for love. Uh, more importantly, self-love. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. I I just, in fact, I just posted later uh, a post about self-love. The society was not made actually for people actually to love themselves. It's, if you do something for someone, that's the only way they're going to love you. People do not understand what is unconditional love. Wow. And I'm not talking to others. I'm talking to yourself. If you don't accept completely who you are, you're always going to be comparing yourself or envying others. So you're not accepting yourself. And there's that's when the, all these chaos come because yeah, you're not happy with you. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, I tell a lot of the younger artists I meet in, you know, some of the ateliers or the colleges, I say, you know, just stay focused on your work. You don't need, uh, you know, alcohol or drugs to uh, inspire you or help you create beautiful things uh, because it may start it may start out as fun and romantic, but then it could evolve into something darker for you if you haven't found closure in some things in your life. And artists, you know, we, I don't want to say we're better than other human beings or we're a special breed, but we carry a lot of emotion in our, in yeah. our cities. We do. We feel things differently. We see things differently. We analyze things differently. Um, I am guilty of my wife sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, complains that I overthink things too much sometimes. <laughs> I've been told the same. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, that's, that's, that's who we are as artists. I mean, Van Gogh used to overthink things so much that when he started out in life, he was not an artist. He actually was a, 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 a minister, a, a Baptist minister. Wow. I didn't even and, they, and, the, and, the, and the brothers kicked him out because they thought he was too much. And then he decided, okay, so I guess that's not my calling in life. And at the age of 30, almost 30, he became an artist. And he wrote a lot to his brother. And uh, I think what, what you said earlier, that writing, I think that's really that's really healthy way to express yourself too as an artist. I agree. I agree. And I wanted to ask you a question. Our time is almost uh, finishing. What advice do you would give to an artist or spectators? Because I've been seeing that there are many artists actually um, seeing us. Oh, that uh, what advice you would tell them to to sell their work? Not everybody were a, a car salesperson, and it is hard for artists to focus on sales when you want to just focus on your art. Right. Well, you know, take it slow. I think sometimes if you try to aim too high, it might not be a very realistic goal. Um, I started selling my art in the beginning at $100 at a restaurant here in L.A. Uh, an oriental restaurant uh, gentleman said, hey, come in, you know, you, I love that painting you brought in the other day. We'll put some on the wall for $100, $150. And so, again, 
every artist's journey is different, Monica. Some artists can go to superstardom right away. Some, it takes years. So develop a sense of what business game plan you want to um, spend your time in, meaning have a, have a price point that's realistic for your artwork. Go to gallery openings and look at what the artists there are selling their art for. Uh, and then, you know, develop a strong website presence. Uh, social media, unfortunately, now is a total necessity. <laughs> it's a must. I know it could be overwhelming and daunting, but you could start off in some small group. And there are groups on Facebook who are very easy to work with, who will... <coughs> allow you to post one of your paintings with a with your price and won't take a commission they'll just everything goes to the artist what i what i'm saying is if is, is, is start out with a realistic price point uh even i with uh with the few years i've had experience i just can't go into a gallery and say hey i want to sell this for fifty thousand dollars <laughs> i gotta work my prices and it takes time it really does take time because you got to cultivate an audience. You have to create a, a clientele base and that takes time. And, um, you know, again, I, I know that's not something that a lot of artists want to hear, but it's a patience game, Monica. Yeah. It is, you know, and so start your price points um, moderately. I'm not saying, you know, sell your art for $20, $50 cause we got to pay bills and, you know, <laughs> start out moderately. Um, if you're starting out, start out in the low hundreds, maybe six, seven hundred dollars. And every year, increase your prices by 10%. And if the galleries or the collectors say, well, why is your price point going up? I said, well, my art's more in demand now. Plus, it meets the cost of inflation for everything else. Because... Right. It's not just gas and milk that, uh, you know, uh, go up in price. So, the, so do brushes and paints <laughs> and, and, and the materials. I, will add, uh, I did have a conversation the other day, an interview with the president of Pintoras Mexicanas, mm -hmm. Alma Dominguez. And she was mentioning that, uh, that for her is more important Instagram than even Facebook. Then now the galleries, they ask you for your Instagram. They yes. don't ask you for your webpage or they don't ask you for your fan page or Facebook. They ask you for your Instagram. Yes. And, and, and you know, and that is the way of change. Uh, mm -hmm. When I joined the Valley Artist Guild in 2005, I don't know if you remember, Monica, I, I conducted a series of uh, uh, seminars uh, trying to convert a lot of the uh, members from slides to digital JPEGs. And it was hard because some of them said, hey, I spent $15,000 on these slides. And I say, sir, at some point we have to give up the candle and go buy a light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We, we have to adapt to whatever is weird. And, and, and that's what, and see, and that is, if I may say, that is what made Picasso so great is that Picasso changed his style more than any other artist in history. 
but because he knew that times were changing and new ideas were coming on the horizon. So yes, if your face, if you're obviously yes, Facebook at this point is not what it used to be in 2009. Yes. It's changed. It's become more of an uh, an algorithm of ads to try to sell something to the public. And we've lost, and I noticed this personally, I have lost a lot of contact with many artists and galleries, not because they're not following me or because my art now is horrible and they don't want nothing to do with me, but because Facebook has changed the algorithm where they now control what you see versus before it was you saw your friends. And so if I can say just one point of advice, if you do start your Instagram and you're right, Monica, that's what galleries are looking for right now is focus your Instagram only on your art. If you're going to just focus uh, your Instagram on art, don't put photos of your pets or your baby kid or your girlfriend or your new car. Just focus it solely on the artwork because that's the new portfolio. Yes. That's that's advice I have received before. And I have two Instagrams for that reason. One is just for my art and the other one is for my coaching. Right. Scott, do you have, uh, would you like to say something else before we close? Oh, I just want to thank you, Monica, for giving me the time to share my, my thoughts and experiences. And I hope that uh, they will be able to uh, be of help to whoever is listening or watching this evening or this morning, because I know we're different parts of the world. Uh, I say stay focused, stay creative persevere my friends because art is needed in this world now more than ever it's a beautiful thing and it's it's a, an important part of our existence as human beings so thank you monica for having me it's good to see you and uh everybody have a good evening good night or good morning <laughs> thank you so much scott thank you for accepting uh for accepting it's really my pleasure to have you here and having this conversation with you thank you I really appreciate it. And I just want to announce what we have um, tomorrow. Tomorrow I will be doing a, a channel message um, from the Family of the Light in Soul Talk. And uh, we're going to have also a guided meditation. And we're going to have uh, an invite, Aurora Light, also promoting her summit that I'm going to be talking in there too, in Tuesday. In the next week, in the heart of the artist talk at 6 p.m., we have Cian uh, Hugh, uh, Hughes. He's a, a, he do amazing uh, sculptures. And we want to give thanks to all the people that have supported this uh, podcast. And, uh, and thank you for your donations. I really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. And... I really appreciate it. And I will be sharing this in YouTube and I will be adding your, your paintings that are amazing uh, people to see them. Thank you. Very generous of you, Monica. I, I hope and pray that you and your family are staying safe over there in Texas. And, you know, whenever you want, you're always free to touch base with me and, and uh, you know, ask me any questions. So, muchas gracias. A ti. Gracias. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. 
head over to monicaramireswarriorlove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass on how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.